How many tabs do you have currently open right now? Currently? I only, I only have three. I only have three, actually. I'm not a big tab guy. I don't understand the, like, FOMO over having tab. Like, I use this tool called Pocket, actually. So, like, if I have something that I just want to, like, come back and visit, I'll just pocket it. And you know what I find is, like, do you 90, 98% of the things I think I'll come back to, I don't come back to it. So, yeah, I think that's probably most, ta like, the, the, the tab hoarders, we'll call them. They, they don't actually ever go back to the tabs. No. It's just an illusion of, like, you're getting shit done, but you're really not. I signed up for a crypto podcast. You're getting a uh, you're getting a personal productivity a lecture on here. tabs and then tabs. <laughs> how, how we how we doing, partner? How we doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Doesn't I was just saying I'm busy. Doesn't feel like a bear market. Certainly wasn't this active and just came back this week and it's just been it's just been really active. I I don't remember it being like this in 2019. 2019 was like dead. Right now it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, man, Jesse had, I love Jesse's quote in that podcast. I mean, obviously we'll talk a lot about Coinbase here, but he's like, feels like there's a bear market in prices, but on-chain activity is at an all-time high. And I just- And on, like creativity, all-time high. Yeah, that last part of the episode really got fired so up. There's so much stuff totally going on right now. It's nuts. There's like so much stuff happening in crypto. It's so funny because I went out to dinner with um a couple friends. Like one's a doctor, one works at Uber, um- one like a lot of them work in like web two like SA like SaaS companies and like the Ubers of the world. One's a doctor. None of them think that anything's happening in crypto. They're like, yeah, I mean, we own some Bitcoin and some ETH, and like, I don't know. I feel like nothing really happens in crypto anymore. I was like, yeah. oh man, yeah. <laughs> I am living in a totally different world than you guys. <laughs> okay, that's them, right? Get worried when like the Uber drivers and like these tech bros start asking about crypto and which NFTs to buy. That's like a, sig a signal that we're toppy. But like, I, I think we just said something really cool in that episode with Jesse, which was like, even if you're even if you're in crypto, I think there will come a moment where we just click, it just clicks and we're, we reach kind of this really big inflection point, escape velocity, whatever term you want to use. And I think he's right in the sense that like, we, all of us here, you, I, and everyone in this generation kind of lived through the, the rise of smartphones where it didn't exist. And then it kind of went in, it, like in a matter of years, like it just penetrated a two thirds of the world's population and it just exploded a whole category of verticals. Like you had the app boom and bust, everyone was building apps. And then you you had, you went from like shitty, like internet, super expensive to LTE. We've come such a long way and like massive empires have been built. Like, you know what I mean? Ubers of the world that like without a smartphone, like it wasn't like really kind of a viable business model. But somehow, like, as I was thinking about that, like living through that didn't feel super impactful. Like it, it felt inc incremental, right? And then it compounded to then this thing called the smartphone, iPhone, you can't live without. You now have trouble sleeping without. You get anxiety if you don't look at it like constantly. And I think we're like, it's, pretty impressive that that happened because you know we talk a lot about in this in podcast about how transformational we think the crypto is going to be but i wonder like at what point are you going to pinch yourself when that actually happens and i don't think we're far from that we've talked a lot about account abstraction um you know the activity in l2s it does feel like like i was reading this great book it's called web design. Actually, let me pull it up for people to see. One sec. Oh, the the big one. So the big bulky book. Yeah, it's kind of like an illustrated book. Honestly, one of my how the internet happened, and then th this book, unreal. Like you just go through like the first versions of websites to like it goes all the way to today, which is like 2018. But still, like. I just went back to it and I didn't even remember like using like mini clip and on some of these websites and like, it's really good to look back and like see how these things evolved. The bottom line is as these things really transformational paradigm shifts, whatever you want to call them happen, when you're living in the moment, even though you're part of the industry, when you're living and breathing it, it doesn't feel like how you describe it at post-mortem. Like it was like the biggest thing that could probably will happen to this generation. So anyways... Yeah. 
I agree, man. I mean, there's this great, uh, yeah. I mean, so, so you talk about uh, the mobile phone revolutions. Like, one of the crazy things I think from that era was the iPhone introduced this infrastructure that then enabled you to build these apps. And then the apps pushed developers and founders to then build better infrastructure. And, um, like, you know, you couldn't have Uber until you, and Lyft until you had a map inside your pocket and you couldn't have, you know, Instagram and Snapchat until you had a phone inside your pocket. And, but when someone saw the phone in, in a camera, they didn't think Snapchat and Instagram. So, uh, it's cool. Like what better infrastructure can do. And obviously, I, I mean, I basically want to spend a lot of this podcast talking about Coinbase, but, uh, and, and that podcast that we did and, uh, your thoughts on that podcast and just their announcement over their L2, but there's actually this great, I want to, I'll link to this piece by USB that I always reference, which is the myth of the infrastructure phase, which, um, they talk about the relationship between like apps and infrastructure. So they, and, and they track it back 50 years. So they're like, first there were, there was messaging 1970 and then like email in 1972 that, that inspired infrastructure that made it easier to have broad consumer adoption of those apps of messaging and email. And that was like the ether, like ethernet in the mid seventies, uh, TCP IP, uh, mm. ISPs like internet service providers in the mid seventies. Then there's another wave of apps, um, which were like web portals, like AOL and prodigy. And then the web portals inspired us to build infrastructure, like search engines and web browsers. Then there's another wave of apps like Amazon, which inspired us to build PHP and JavaScript and Java. And you think about Facebook, like we, I brought up react, the coding language, mm-hmm. like Facebook created react because they were, um, my understanding is that they were having trouble handling the ad marketplace they were building. So that was an app that required a better coding language of infrastructure. So anyways, I think you see this playing out and I think that ties in nicely with this Coinbase announcement, which is mm-hmm. one of the yeah. biggest pieces of, uh, of infrastructure news that I think we've ever seen in, in crypto. So we did this episode with, um, with Jesse and Will with their team. Um, and if you guys haven't listened to that, I'd really recommend you guys listen to that before you listen to this. And it's, it should be the last episode on, on empire that, that just came out yesterday. Basically I'll give, I'll give the summary and then I really want to hear your thoughts. So the summary is that Coinbase just announced their own layer two. Um, the L2 is called base. It's built on the OP stack, which is different than optimism. The OP stack is open source code that powers optimism. Uh, Coinbase met the Optimism team while they were working on EIP 4844, which is the proto-dang sharding uh, proposal. And Coinbase is actually joining as the second core dev team working on the OP stack, uh, which I think is really cool. They're to, they're doing that to ensure that the OP stack is a publicly is a public good for available for everyone uh, to everyone for free. And they're also going to uh, contribute 20% of sequencer revenue to fund public goods, which is just like you know I tip the cap to Coinbase. From a competition lens, it's super interesting because Base is actually going to compete with Optimism and all the L2s. Eventually, they see everything integrating together, but not yet. Um, so, like, I think you heard me on the podcast. Like, it was a little tough for me to wrap my head around because Optimism is helping Coinbase here, but they're also competing with them, which is just like, I don't know, I was just smiling at that after we stopped recording. I was like, it's very crypto. Um, it was interesting to hear, like, before the L2, they debated a couple other ideas. Like, they discussed building their own L1. In 2018 and 2020, they discussed like building an ad network. They discussed um, building this like identity product. So it's cool to hear them go through like this product, you know, years of like product um, uh, feedback and stuff. And finally, they landed on this L2. I think it's called uh, Base. So Base is the name of it. It's going to be permissionless from day one. It's in testnet right now. Mainnet comes soon. They're launching an ecosystem fund as well to incentivize development. Um, and then from the business model perspective, it seems kind of like you know, there's two business models here, fees and MEV. They're not enabling MEV right now. Transactions are just going to come in in the order that they come into the sequencer. Um, but so it seems kind of like a fee-based uh, business model right now and no token. Um, but anyways, I just like very excited that they're building this and would like to hear your thoughts on it. I think it summarizes extremely well. It's just good to have Jesse and Will, which I hadn't met pre- uh, previously and really smart guys. And um to be fair, I gained a much bigger appreciation of the role that Coinbase is playing in the industry. Like they're synonymous with with buying crypto in the US and I'll give them credit for that. I when I was buying my crypto back in the day, super early, it was Coinbase. And 
I think they've played a huge role. Um, irrespective of what Jim Cramer and the stock has done, I think it, 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 you'd be an idiot not to recognize the role that they've done as an on-ramp, as a primary on-ramp for Americans mostly, and most of like other in the UK and other places, like incredible role that they've, they've yeah. played. Um, <clears throat> and it's also pretty remarkable that the company is investing and putting a lot of resources into contributing to the ecosystem. Um, and Jesse kept mentioning like the, the, the plan, the long-term vision, three-part vision that Brian laid out like in 2017, which it, it sounds like they're entering the third one, which is like creating like the app store and the everything app for this web three and becoming the gateway for this web three world for, for everyone really. One of the things that we talked about in the episode that I think is still TBD is like, how does this actually, what does this actually mean for Coinbase business? Um, you know, and, and they, I think they pointed out right, rightfully so that historically, like they built the Coinbase wallet, which is a great product. And the question was like, are you basically cannibalizing your existing business by building all these things that encourage users to leave the Coinbase kind of centralized solution? I think he came up with a great answer, which I actually believe. I don't think it's like Kool-Aid, which is, look, at the end of the day, it's such a small pie right now that our primary goal to drive value is to bring like hundreds of millions, billions of, of people in the space. And if you don't do that, none of this matters, realistically. And I think they, it's great to see that the organization like that is is willing to like reinvent themselves to some capacity. Because um, I think... By and large, a lot of most like ninety eight percent of businesses in crypto haven't found product market fit. Yeah, like Ethereum has centralized like on ramps have. There's a lot of speculation in the space, but a lot a lot of a lot of projects are masking product market fit with a token. And you know that's okay. Like you don't have to find product market fit immediately. You don't have to find like business models immediately. Like social media went through this phase where all you all all Zuckerberg was focused on was like building the best social media platform. And then, and then you could layer on a whole other things, but it, it started and ended with being the best social media platform. And if you have that engagement, then you can do a lot of things with that. And I think Coinbase like has that as an organization really, really focused on, we have to be the place where people come to, to interact in this world. And I think a large part of the rationale is if I'm them, it was really interesting to see, as you mentioned, like the evolution of like why they decided of all the things in their whiteboard to make this the number one priority from an engineering standpoint. And I think this is a phenomenon that you constantly see in crypto, which is <clears throat> as an engineering team, the question was, you already allow withdrawals to an L2, like optimism. Why build it like a separate chain using their stack? And I think he didn't lay it out explicitly, but my appreciation and just seeing how other people have reacted to this today is, I think by, by building on the OP stack, you control a lot of things. You brought up permission DeFi like a permissioned L2, which is, hey, if institutions are going to play here and regulations come, well, I think you have a greater degree of control and ability to prioritize certain things like KYC, insurance, controlling who actually can interact in the L2. Um, you know, they're calling it permissionless, but I, I, my hunch is that there's going to be some elements here that if you want to play in this space, you're going to have to comply with certain things. And I think... The second hypothesis that I have that, that I'll borrow from an unnamed person that I saw in a chat was maybe they'll offload a lot of the tokens to the sale too, assuming that some tokens become problematic to have in the main platform, Coinbase. So I don't know what you think about that. I mean, the so the second part is, so there's this qualified custodian regulation that's going into effect. And like part of that regulation is going to, I think we'll say that... Um, Qualified custodians can only hold certain tokens. So you could see this, yeah, the long tail getting kind of offloaded there. I mm -hmm. I would actually just actually go back to Brian Arm, your thing about focus and like Zuckerberg. Um and like Zuck focusing on the social network until like they mastered the social network and then they moved on to other things. I there's this blog post that Jesse mentioned at one point in time, the Coinbase secret master plan from Brian. And uh so I don't know if you've ever actually read this. It's from September of 2016 before the 2017 bull market, before everything ripped, before all these people came into crypto, September 2016, which keep in mind, as you remember, was only one year after Ethereum went live. And he lays out these like four, he basically says, I'm going to outline where crypto is headed. 
and how the world will come to have an open financial system, there's going to be four major phases. And here's what we're going to do in each of them. He goes, phase number one, we got to develop the protocol. There's only a million people max who are going to like be involved in that stage. We got to develop the protocol. And that was Ethereum, like Bitcoin and ETH get invented. Phase two, build a crypto exchange that can reach 10 million people. And in that phase, this again, 2016, before the market rips. So that's what they did. 2017, Coinbase was like the go-to place to uh, to buy and sell crypto. So they built, they did, they they executed on phase two, build a crypto exchange. That reached, you 10x the size, that reached 10 million people. Phase three, you 10x the size again, 100 million people. Build a mass market interface for crypto apps. And six, over six years later, six and a half years later, they have 108 million users. Man, the man just nailed it. Like six and a half years, he just called a shot and he, and he, and he crushed it. And um, and they built this mass market interface for, for crypto apps. And that's Coinbase today. And now we're going into phase four, which is build the apps of open finance of an open financial system where you 10x the size again to reach a billion people. And this Coinbase announcement of building an L2 fits directly into that. So I, I think it's a brilliant, I, I'm very long. Like I just, I'm, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant um, build by Coinbase. And I just like tip my cap to Jesse and to Will and Brian and the whole team. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a game changer. It's an L2 ready to bring crypto to a hundred plus million registered users on Coinbase. EVM equivalents, gasless transactions, APIs, account abstraction, uh, native bridging, professional RPC nodes from day one, like, boom, you you just can't get, tough to get better than that right now, you know? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of this stuff is, I reserve judgment because when I see it, I think I'll have a better opinion on a lot of these things. It, Nonetheless, it, it is really encouraging to see Coinbase move in this direction contribute to the you're, you're, you're less ex- you're less excited about this than i am no look i mean look i'm an investor in Ar- arbitrum and so the question is like i, I asked him and so I, look i have some bias what I, I was really curious about this i know we're gonna br- we're bringing them on for well i reached out to steven I, I reached out to yeah. steven um and so what do you think of this and i'll let him speak because i want to bring him on next next week or 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 when we do it uh, i think it, i think we're in we're due for an em- uh, uh, an empire pod on arbitrum there's a lot of cool stuff happening I was very curious to hear from Coinbase team what they thought about the existing L2 ecosystem, just generally, right? And the rationale behind building on the OP stack, which I wasn't really familiar with. I mean, it's fairly recent. They just kind of announced it, right? There, a lot of stuff happening yeah. behind the scenes, but this was news to me. <clears throat> but look, net-net, I think it's still very positive, right? Where we covered, to, to some extent, which I don't fully still understand, is base acting as this bridge, right? It's not only about optimism. It's just bridging everything really and so look i i don't want to dis i don't want to come across i'm not excited about this i'm super excited about this primarily because I, I i hope and wish that other companies like coinbase like start doing more of this stuff like i know that kraken i think has some grants and like supports some like core devs of bitcoin and, and a few others like i'm not but still i think like this is this is i think some one of the best moves of a Coinbase of of a company contributing to like an open source network protocol like Ethereum. So, um, yeah. Let, no, me, make I, the, let me let me make the business case here instead of just because I've seen a lot of Twitter posts being like, "This is great!" Like, shout out to Brian and Coinbase. Like, they're contributing to open source code and they're contributing to the community. Blah blah blah. Let me make the Wall Street argument here. Let me make the the revenue argument, which is right now you have a bunch of L twos that make over a hundred million in revenue a year on sequencer fees, even in a bear market with less than like half a million users, you've got these L2s making a hundred million dollars a year on sequencer fees. Now there's obviously, there's probably a, let's call it a 20 to 30% margin on that. They probably pay like on a hundred million in revenue, probably 70 to 80 million, just settling those fees to the, to the L1, but still it's a really large top line. Uh, Binance, like BNB, Binance chain did over a million dollars in fees yesterday alone. They have roughly the same volume as Arbitrum in terms of transaction scale. So that's, uh, they did 1.2 million fees. If you uh, bake that out for a year, that's like $440 million a year of revenue in a down market. And I think there's no reason that the base chain uh, or base, whatever they're calling it, base can't do a similar amount just on on on-chain fees. 
not including all the other stuff that they'll probably do like real world assets and like on-ramping and things like that. That's almost half a million dollar, uh, excuse me, half a billion dollars a year of, re of additional revenue in a down market. So it was just, it was one of the funny things for me was seeing Wall Street, I think Coinbase's stock was down like a one or 2% today. This like, Wall Street just has no idea how to price. Wall Street's, uh, they're, they're so stupid. I mean, like they're, they have no idea how to price. And I, I see something that will no. spit off an additional half a billion dollars a year in fees from this L2. And they see them competing. The, the commentary I heard was like, they see them competing with their own business. I'm like, man, you guys are just really missing the forest for the trees here. Yeah. Not only that, but it's again, this idea of you're going to onboard, like you're going to 4X your user base. Yeah. By potentially like think of probabilities, right? But all the focus should be as the industry is really the next bull markets can be predicated on like macro side and all this speculation side, but, but the, 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 like the long-term thesis of the space, I think starts and ends. If you believe truly one thing that we can build killer products that people use yeah. and love, like hold it, not absent holding Bitcoin, not like as a macro hedge, whatever, but like web three, do you believe that people are going to, and this is where like a lot of people are really skeptical on like, show me what people are using here. Even Jesse said, look, I try to use crypto every day. I kind of use it four or five times a week. Um, there's like, admittedly, like few apps that exist today that like people are using on the daily, like, you I know, can assure you and, and crypto in my daily life. Like, I'm not yeah, using yeah, look, crypto in my daily life right now. Yeah. With account abstraction, like envision a world with account abstraction that just kind of removes a lot of the friction of of how you interact in this space and set up and manage your keys and all that jazz. And then you just kind of remove that stress from your life. And then you just focus on, Hey, look, I want to like interact and, and, and play these games like, you know, Illuvium or go on a walk and you step in and, or, you know, you name it. Right. Um, I think, I think this is the cycle. This is the time where I, you and I have seen them like they're, they're, we've had these people on the podcast that they're focused on building beautiful, really engaging, um, front facing consumer applications. Yeah. So here's, uh, I've, I've three arguments. If I was talking to like a traditional investor about this, that's not like, oh, Coinbase is really doing good for the community. One argument why this is powerful is because of the fee thing that I just mentioned. The second is real world assets. Um, if you believe that real world assets will come to crypto, this is now the obvious place to do it, right? Given base chain has account abstraction, Coinbase, Coinbase has KYC AML data for a hundred million users. They can now really easily launch real world assets on chain, restrict it to just approved wallets or just accredited investors, whatever it may be. And that would really easily let you put securities on chain. So like, that's the second Thing that I think is just really exciting about this. And then the third thing would be, um, I mean, we just, uh, you, you missed this episode, but we had a staking episode that will go mm -hmm. live on Monday, I think it is, with the uh, with Rocket Pool and actually the lead, the guy who runs uh, staking, John, the guy who runs staking at uh, at Coinbase. So CBE is going to be pushed heavily on base. And um, this is just another like big revenue winner for Coinbase there is to make try to make CBE the de facto uh, liquid staking derivative for ETH. So like pushing CBE, real world assets, um, and m multiple hundreds of millions in fees. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I think yeah. this is a great move for Coinbase. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, which I, I'm still thinking through. One, why wouldn't this work? Like in one year from now, we look back and, because you know, like the Coinbase NFT marketplace was a total flop. It didn't get any traction. Um, and so the question to you is why would base not work Two, what does that do to the other L2s in the space? Including optimism. Um, right now Coinbase is the only, it's a very centralized L2. It is, it, it is a centralized L2. Coinbase is the only sequencer. Um, eventually they will decentralize the block building. Um, and, and you asked this great question near the end of, uh, of Jesse about like decision-making and like 
how decisions get made right now it's a it he he gave the i think pr friendly answer but like right now they're the only sequencer on the chain and eventually they'll decentralize the block building but they haven't yet and so if i was building um and i was like very pro crypto native and i like i'd probably build on on like optimism or i'd build on arbitrum the counter argument to that is usdc look at what happened there right like, you know, at the very beginning, yeah. people were like so against it and a, a big cohort was like, God, even I remember trying to onboard it as collateral and maker during March, 2020, like, and for a long time, yeah. like, people were like, this is centralized, like there's, there's die, like this is counter to the ethos. And then now it's just become like the number one stable coin. Yeah. Like here's the convenience, yeah. right? What? Okay. Let me ask you this. What does... If you're building a DeFi application, what does launching in Polygon or on Polygon versus launching on Solana give you that like traditional non-crypto stuff doesn't give you? Like if I launch a fintech app versus launching a DEX, I'm trying to lead you into an answer that I want you to give, but maybe I'll just answer my own question, which is girlfriend. It gives you instant liquidity. It gives you a boatload of you like launching a fintech app, you start at zero. You got you got no users. You got to go run a bunch of Facebook. Composability is a beautiful thing. Go acquire those users. When you launch on Solana or on Arbitrum or on Optimism or on directly on ETH, you've got baked in users from day one. And yeah. I'm like I'm I hear myself getting too too the, excited about this. The, the issue though, is, but the retention piece is is harder because the barriers to exit and entry are so low. They're a click okay away. so. What I'm trying to get at, though, is that, you know, your point is worth 108 million registered Coinbase users to tap into. And when I heard Jesse say that they were thinking about the ad market, the ad mar- what? why were they thinking about an ad market? Because they've got 108 million CFI users, and then you've got all these founders and devs over here, and there's a disconnect. So what the ad market would have done is it would have connected uh, projects mm-hmm. with 108 million users. So... I'm like, if I'm debating where to build, I'm like, ooh, man, Coinbase is clearly thinking about ways to get my project in front of those 108 million users, which would excite me a lot. Yeah, that's a great point that you bring up the ad network because during the episode, Will really kind of mentioned the sequence because Jesse was like, I had all these ideas, including an ad network. And Will said, you're not wrong on any of them. It's just sort of the sequence was off. And I think you're absolutely right, which is you have build base first, then do everything else. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I haven't seen which protocols from day one like are going to be on base, but I think it's the majors, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's like the comp- compound, Ave, Uniswap, and a bunch of others. But yeah, I mean, the allure of because they we always we to some extent talk about aggregation theory here, uh, and you know whoever who controls a user has commands a lot of power, um, and in this case. Like BNB as an example, right? Like Binance yeah. has launched their own chain. I guess this is a good analogy. And they, like, there was a time where BNB as a chain had way more transactions. Like uh, PancakeSwap had more users um, and transactions than Uniswap at some point. The activity is like kind of dwindled a bit, but it just goes to show how how it's so powerful. Like Binance is the number one exchange in the world in number of users and you know, volume launching their own chain was something that they did and CZ is a smart guy and the traction that you got because they own their user it's just so easy right they're going to push all their users to go to base as opposed to withdraw to Arbitrum right. or Polygon or Solana or whatever right and not only that but the app ecosystem I think they're going to curate and, and, and create a safe environment and actually a one where they're going to probably support a lot of projects so I'm really excited you know um to, to see that, I think th- a lot of times, you know, when I talk to p- new users uh, and do the education piece of crypto, they're like, I, I need handholding. I need someone to tell me these are the apps that you, you know, the suggested apps. When you buy an, a smartphone, there's certain apps that are preloaded. And I think in this case, Coinbase is also going to do that in Web3. Some, some apps by yeah. default, safe, trusted apps. Um, and I think that's what's needed. 
for a large number of, of users, like the 80%, 90% of users in their first time should probably go through a, a hand-holding exercise and, and in a safe environment. And if base can do that, then great, right? Like I'm not, you know. Um, to be fair, all the L2 gurus out there, you know, you look at poly, when we talk about decentralization, it's always easier to say, hey, wait a minute, it's going to be controlled by Coinbase. I'm like, yeah, guys, but let's talk about the sequencer of all the other L2s and fraud proofs. Are there fraud proofs in Optimism? Who controls the sequencer? They're reorged in Polygon. This tech is not perfect, right? So uh, I'm just, you know, <laughs> we should, I'm really optimistic about all these, all these things, but, you know, the tech is still fairly on you know nascent we'll get there yeah yeah i mean most l2s have this centralized sequencer run by the foundation or the lab rock proof and yeah they have a roadmap to decentralize yeah, a, a eigenlayer episode go talk to them we just told the guy hey listen how's this gonna work a committee of people oh, okay great so okay so yeah. it's central so all right let me let me ask you this um so you've got this whole progressive decentralization i no, I don't want to just throw shade at it. I can make it put whatever. You have this whole app chain thesis, um, which is which is like primarily been a Cosmos dom dominated thesis, and um, I'm curious if you think that base is the start of like the app chain thesis becoming possible on Ethereum as well. But I don't know what that means, right? Let me let me like, here. Let me I'll. Here's like, where the like different L2s, is that like an app chain? No, right? Because you're still using the base chain. Like I, when I think of app chain, it's like a totally different architecture. Like I'm speaking out, out of my, it's like monolithic versus like, you know I mean? Like it's a different architecture. I think when you talk about the app chain thesis versus an L2 still settling in an L1. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I don't even I get, think I get, that, I, maybe the distinction doesn't even matter, right? But yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I guess, I, I guess basically about yeah, like on that I guess, I guess like to put it in concrete terms, you have a team that was pretty important in Ethereum called DYDX that decided to leave, that decided to go and build their own chain, and they picked yeah. Cosmos. Yeah. So Cosmos SDK, Tendermint, Consensus, BFT. It's fairly, fairly battle tested. People should go and listen to the episode with Zaki and uh, what's new? we did a Cosmos episode. Jack, Jack, and Jack. Yes, sorry, Jack. Um, and yeah, DYDX left Ethereum and they decided to build their own chain because they just said, "Look, Ethereum right now is unusable and we can't really. It's not like it's not viable for us." And so they didn't just leave Ethereum; they left. On L2, they left Starkware. Yeah, yeah t t totally. Like they abandoned Ethereum, then they, they yeah, just yeah. went to Cosmos, built their own chain to control a lot of parameters. And look, I think the question that we should kind of revisit over time is are we going to see these teams come back and build on base and abandon their pro and abandon their, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I guess the question is, if DYDX were to do this over again, this exercise of, of the pros and cons of staying in Ethereum, maybe even building their own L2 or going to Cosmos and building their own chain, it would be interesting to see how that would play out with base live. Um, I don't know if it changed the calculus, but maybe something we can ask uh, Antonio or from DYDX or some other people that have thought about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on Coinbase? <clears throat> no, no, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, timing wise, you probably know this better than I do, but it sounds like relatively soon, i.e., next month, they'll launch beta. Well, no, they're in testing. No, now. they're in testing now. You can bridge over. You can go to base.org and bridge. Um, Got it. Testnet assets over. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, and no token. So, guys, there's no base token. Don't be scammed. Oh, oh! You know what I realized? You know, I this is so dumb of me that I didn't. This is probably obvious to everyone else except for me. So Coinbase's ticker is Coin. 
base. Eventually, there'll probably be a base token. So you got coin base. Base. Was this was this super obvious to everyone? Maybe I just <laughs> I just put that down. Yeah, well, all right, base token is dollar sign base. <laughs> then you got dollar sign coin. We got dollar sign they, coin base. Yeah, true, true, true. They we asked them if they were going to launch a token. They've been fairly clear and binary here that there won't be a token. But again, they leave the o vector open. I think that over time, if there's a committee and the committee decides to launch a token, then you presumably could see a token. But, 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 folks, please don't be scammed. There is no base token. Don't be led otherwise, and don't give your coins to some scammer out there that is <laughs> telling you to, like, claim a base token. There is no base yeah. token. Why do you think they only had one sequencer from day one? Like, why didn't they just... Like, surely they could have had more folks get involved from day one. My assumption is that they were probably very quickly um, add more people that are in their institutional validator sets. Like, they acquired Bison Trails to allow inter large enterprises to run their own validator, right? So I'm thinking that they're probably going to tap into that network to decentralize the sequencer. Mm. Can can I... My Okay, yeah. And then I guess on the no token, people's probably biggest question there is like, okay, well, if you don't have a token, like how are you incentivizing the validators? My understanding is that there are no val... This could be totally off. There are no validators. The signed transactions will be sent to Coinbase who sent who ma centrally manages the sequencer in the state they periodically checkpoint the state back to mainnet using the optimistic rollup eventually we want to have validators but but not yet is that your understanding of it that is my understanding of it okay okay yeah, yeah. the the key there is the fraud proof i think i got to dig in I, I don't, I'm going to talk out of my ass if I keep going here. Me too. Yeah. So please, cool. uh, YouTube commentary, please crucify <laughs> whatever you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to know. I'm We're wrong. entering unqualified um, territory. <laughs> uh, back. You, you know what's <laughs> funny? All right. So, you know what's funny? So like Mike, uh, so we have this pod, we have another podcast at Blockers called Bell Curve and it's like well, a based show. I don't know what that is. We don't talk about other episodes. I left. I left. We're allowed to, we're allowed to, uh, I've, I've abandoned i've abandoned that ship but this season's on app chains and next season's on on mev and so mike has been spending his weekends uh like studying mev basically like i was i was actually out bowling on saturday and uh he's sending me all these like videos and stuff of, of mev i was like not not the time buddy but um he's like yeah I'm, I'm locked in i'm like learning about mev and then as the text kept coming it was like you know what like mev is reminding me i need to like go back and relearn how ethereum works at like a core level and i i don't know actually reading about this like uh coin like seeing what coinbase is launching i was like wait so if you don't have a token who validates the validate how do you incentivize and i was like oh man might be good for a um a refresher i'm like how this stuff all works i don't know if you ever find yourself in, in, in that boat yeah what do you think i do on the weekends <laughs> like i don't go bowling dude <laughs> I would I would run your show. Yeah, do you have bowling shoes? I was. Are you the, are you the kind of guy that shows up with his like bag, his ball, and his bowling shoes? I understand bowling shoes like when not, you go skiing, you want to have your own boots. I'm not I'm just, just the fact that you're not even telling me this. I'm just, just fifth. You're 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 pleading the fifth, but you're admit you're admitting guilt by by like, like pleading the fifth. Wow. I have I have big feet, and when I have put on those, I mean, when I put on Jason's like, shoes, what are you six five, dude? Six four. You're six I'm up there. Yeah, six four. You def. Oh, you're claiming that you ha see. Th this is the cop out. You're claiming that you have bowling shoes because somehow <laughs> when you go bowling, they never have your size. So this is like a flex. This is a flex. I'm calling, calling you on the flex. <laughs> God, dude, let's go. I'm, I'm gonna keep you focused. No, you have a bowling ball bowling. and you have bowling shoes. Good lord, <laughs> folks. I, I'm 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 leaving Empire. I cannot fundamentally be with someone that. More, moral of the story is we're going bowling over permissionless. That's uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're putting an ETH on the game. Hey everyone, quick break from Empire to tell you about another Blockworks channel that I know you're gonna love. I've been in crypto full time for five years and have always struggled with one thing, which is keeping up with the next big trend. As soon as I wrap my head around MEV, we're on to app chains. As soon as I wrap my head around app chains. We're on to liquid staking derivatives. I'm sure you've been there. Blockworks Research has solved that problem for me. Our team puts research, data, governance, 
proposal updates, models, and more into one really easy to use platform so I can always stay ahead of the curve. If I don't understand something, for example, I just pull up the platform, I can search for an L1, I can search for a protocol, pull up the platform at blockworksresearch.com, I search the term, there's always an amazing amount of insight in a really consumable way. Uh, right now you can subscribe to the platform, it's 2,500 bucks a year or 900 bucks a quarter. Hopefully you can uh, make more than $208 a month by using the platform. If you can't, you're probably in the wrong business. But if you're not ready to subscribe to the platform today, you can subscribe to the research team's free newsletter. Uh, you can follow their Twitter handles today. Links in the show notes. Trust me, once you do that, you're gonna wanna subscribe to the platform. If you are ready to, uh, to subscribe right now, I got you guys with a little hookup. Empire listeners get a 10% discount for the first 50 people who use the code EMPIRE10. Got your back. Check out the links in the, sh in the description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, so All right. moving past that, Move there was... Um, yeah, moving right along. This is... Uh, I want to talk about Polygon, actually. Yeah. Uh, there were two Polygon things that happened this week. One is um, Polygon laid off 20% of the team, which was, I think, about 100 positions. So I think they had about 500 employees. They laid off 20% um, per Sandeep's tweet. Uh, everyone received like three months of severance, et cetera. Um, so like that was one thing is Polygon laid off 20%. Uh, then also, I really haven't looked into this reorg or what it was, um, but I'm sure I'm sure the Blockworks team is dug in. I just need to read about it. But Hayden Adams of Uniswap tweeted out, he goes, Polygon needs to make moves publicly to solve its reorg problem. 157 block reorg, which is about five minutes of history yesterday, and 120 in December is bad. It can break bridges, centralized exchanges, etc. Maybe we need a consensus algorithm change or a social consensus-based hard fork to slash the validators. And then Jonti, who's one of the co-founders of Polygon, tweeted, this is in progress in two parts. The first is already in the main net since January. Um, yesterday's reorg was caused due to a bug, which will be fixed soon. And then obviously Emin from Avalanche tweeted out the solution that makes the most sense is an Avalanche subnet. Uh, you don't you don't say. And uh, so I'm just I'm just curious what you make of. It seems like it seems like all things were very rosy at Polygon because they were winning a bunch of big brand deals and that you know got a bunch of headlines. And now people are maybe realizing that things are a bit more chaotic over there than than folks realized. <laughs> yeah, reorgs are real, and they've happened before. Um, this was always something that I was thought thinking about while people in the Ethereum community are giving Solana a hard time for outages that seem to happen every month in a kind of regular cadence. But um, yeah, look, I, this is an invitation for someone at Polygon to come up and step up and talk about this stuff. Um, I admittedly don't interact much in Polygon for this reason. Um, like I've, I've done some stuff, but if you track my, like my activity on chain, in my footprint is fairly limited historically in uh, to what I've done in Polygon. Uh, but again, uh, I just feel more comfortable in uh, uh, a different type of L2, an optimistic rollup, um, Arbitrum or or um, or optimism. Yeah, just, uh, I just thought it was a I feel deep the security yeah. the security guarantee. Like it's just it's just different. Yeah. It's just a different. L2. I just thought it was a it was a reminder <laughs> that what everyone build what folks are building here is deeply technical, and you can have the best biz dev in the game, but if your blockchain's missing transactions and you have to reorg twice in three months, like that's an issue. So. Yeah, so this is interesting because we had Camilla and um, and uh, talking, yeah, talking about like she's at Serotonin and they focused a lot on like you know convincing big brands to enter the space and either issue NFTs, largely NFTs, right? It's like Reddit and you know Tiffany's of the world and Nikes and whatever. And my question to them was like, how much are these corporates in their RFP list valuing like ranking security, decentralization, security? And it was like, nah, not really. Like, nah, you know, I think that they, yeah. they're just going where the users are. And this is where BD becomes important. Like, it's just sort of like a, a reflexive in some capacity. Like, if Polygon has a lot of users, then, like, if reorgs happen, but they're not losing users, then I guess, like, the brand just kind of overlooks that. I do think that over time, like, this needs to be addressed. And if it's not, then it really just hinders the long-term viability of Polygon really... Yeah. 
delivering um, to a lot of the expectations that these brands are. They'll just go elsewhere, right? They'll deploy elsewhere. Um, the nice thing about this space is that, like, I think what you've seen is a lot of brands just migrate over to different chains. It's fairly easy. And so, um, look, I, I I think we should focus on this. I think we should have Sandeep or someone from the uh, Polygon team come on and talk about this and what their long-term strategy is to kind of fix this and address this issue. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bad week for them with the reorg and layoffs. What I didn't get is um, why no one... So, like, when Solana has an outage or a reorg or whatever, or, like, if ETH had an outage or, like, Optimism had a reorg or something like that, everybody would t- be talking about it. And uh, I didn't see anyone talking about... This, you know, it's a big reorg. It's a 150-block reorg. Um, it's a- nobody on Twitter was talking about it, which... Like, I was probably too optimistic on Coinbase stuff. Now I'm probably digging into Polygon too much. But, like, that tells me that there aren't as many people using Polygon. Um, and I think they've been winning a bunch of these brand deals. But, like, crypto is a bottoms-up game. And you got to win the bottoms-up game, too. You can't just yeah. you can't just go top-down with it. And you saw a lot of people make that mistake in 2017, trying to go super top-down, winning the big brands. And mm-hmm. look where they're at now. So, No, it's a great point. You know, sometimes we are, we're used to hearing these, like... BD can sometimes triumph over the best tech. Betamax, VHS is a prime example. But I think that that analogy is, though, doesn't really apply in Web3, where the only reason why you want to build something is because you value security. And that's the number one priority, decentralization. Otherwise, just stick to Web2, guys. Like, just don't even bother coming here. Unless you want to capture or extract value. Like, if you're a market, like a a brand that you want to be relevant issue NFTs and like acquire users, fine. But still, in the long term, if your chain's breaking, like there's a lot of harm that's done. And so I think ultimately, <clears throat> this is why the case for Ethereum long term today is probably the strongest thesis as a prevailing kind of network because it's so battle tested. There's a Lindy effect. And, you know, like if your chain's not secure, reorgs continue to happen, forget about it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, this is why we've had a number of episodes this year talk about security because it is the most important thing. There's other folks that don't believe that. I truly believe that. Like, if we don't nail security and we don't build confidence that these things are truly decentralized or permissionless or immutable, then, like, close shop and go back to Web 2. Otherwise, it's a really inefficient Web 2, crappy stuff. You're never going to compete. The only reason why you want to build this stuff is this is why like DeFi is such a killer use case because when you're settling billions of dollars, you don't want to have counter, you want to minimize counterparty risk. That was my whole thesis for DeFi early on. It's like you saw Bitcoin, people really valued being able to move large sums of money and and settle, you know, cross border like their mints use case. And DeFi, the idea of settling billions of dollars or executing certain transactions with if-then statements like programming money and removing counterparty risk is is the killer use case. And if that's it, I think we'll still build tremendous amount of value that's not even reflected in the total market cap of crypto. Now, how that compos- that is composed, I've always thought that the percentage of DeFi encompasses of the total crypto market cap is grossly, grossly undervalued. Just because that is... Today, the like the killer killer use case of Ethereum, uh, we can talk about NFTs as a transfer of value, i.e. still DeFi. Like you're collecting, but it's value. So it's transfer of value. So it, it encompasses, I'm, I'm, I'm including that in, 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 the, in the use case. So yes, yeah, really important reminder that, you know, we can't lose sight of, of there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. It is as Jesse Walden first coined it, I believe. He's now at um, Variant uh, Investing, previously at AZXC, but he really coined this term, which is progressive decentralization. And I think this is the way things should work. But I think the time eventually runs out if you don't progressively decentralize. Uh, And it is sort of like a tension, right? Because when you try to push it too far, you might lose grip on product development and building like... The question is, okay, Polygon can progressively decentralize and speed that up, but but that's not necessarily going to fix reorgs, right? That still is very much the core team, right, that needs to focus that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a tension of decentralizing, but also kind of building the product. Uh, and the product still needs to come a long way for 
99.9% of all the crypto um, yeah. protocols out there. Yeah. All right. There's some other news of the week that I thought was noteworthy. Um, one is uh, Galoy, Galoy Capital shutting down. Um, uh, this is, no, uh, Gol- uh, no, not Gol- uh Kevin. Yeah, but is that how you pronounce it? Gol- no, I don't know. Galloway's. 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 I don't know. I think Galloway's. 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 What, what, is, what is that? I don't know what that is. What is it? It sounds like L-O-I-S. Galloway's. I used to trade with these guys. Galloway's. Kevin. Galois. It's a French. He's a French mathematician and political activist from the 1800s. Scalios? Now, and he died in now 20 years that I mispronounced it for so long. He died when he was 21 years old. So, anyways, I wonder if, he, anyways, anywho, uh, Galois, Galois, however you want to pronounce it, uh, there were rumors that they had their money trapped on FTX. And sure enough, it just uh, came out and said that the fund is no longer viable. They had half the assets trapped on on, on FTX and they're shutting down. So, about, I think it was fund was around like 200 million and they also they're i mean it sounds like you trade with them i think they were market maker as well um and i don't know i just i was actually pretty sad to see this like kevin who runs galois we'll call him galois was one of the first to have identified and warned everyone in crypto about terra luna and like the al- the risk to like the algorithmic stablecoin. and um it's just a bummer because like he's so he nailed it he nailed the risks before like most people saw it and yet he still got trapped on FTX. And I think it's like for, I, I hope people remember him for pointing out the Terra Luna risk. I'm sure he'll be back. He's a super smart guy. And I would also just say like, I did see some people saying like, well, why did they have so much of their AUM on FTX? I think that fails to understand the market making business. And like, if you're going to make markets, you got to have your assets somewhere. And FTX made sense for him. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel bad for Kevin. Yeah, so and- unfortunate. He said and intimated that it, this is not the end of what he was doing, oh, nice. uh, but I understand why he shut down the fund. Uh, he returned, I think it was like other half of his assets were on FTX. The other half, he returned 90% to investors. And I think even after that big haircut, their investors still came out positive. Um, so, you know, if that if that is true, kudos. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, we hope that we haven't lost a, a good soul in space and he'll continue and come back in some other capacity. Yeah. So yeah, um, let's see what else happened. Uh, oh, oh, interesting there. No, oh, oh, no. What was interesting there? He sold. No, 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 no. <laughs> he sold half of. He sold his his stake in FTX. Shush, that is. Did you just shush me? Shh, shh. He just <laughs> he sold his claim that is stuck in FTX for sixteen cents on the dollar, mm-hmm. and he basically said, "Look, this might take years, and I'm not a bankruptcy restructuring expert." So I'll just punch out. Pretty interesting because there were some claims trading at eight cents at some point. Yeah. Um, in stark contrast with Madoff, in that case, you brought it up. Uh, you know, creditors recouped eighty-two cents on the dollar, ninety, eighty, eighty so cents on the dollar. Took ten plus years. So, but nonetheless, 13. um, <laughs> just thirteen years. <laughs> Memeable. Um, but yeah, in this case, fairly interesting that he decided to punch out at sixteen cents. Yeah. Um. What else went on this week? Oh, Tuesday. Arbitrum I mean, had their, speaking of, uh, giving credit to another L2, Arbitrum had its first day with more transaction, more transactions than Ethereum L1. A lot yeah, of stuff happened. That was big. I mean, all activities yeah. went to L2. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think that's it. What else? I think that's, oh, you're, oh, I, I, there's uh, one other thing. Tom Emmer introduced this CBDC anti-surveillance state act on Wednesday which does three things. One is it prohibits the Fed from issuing a CBDC directly to anyone. Two is it bars the Fed from using a CBDC to implement monetary policy. And three is it requires any Fed CBDC project to be transparent to Congress and and the American people. Um, So I think, I mean, doubtful this goes anywhere, I'd say, (laughs) just a bill that's being introduced. But but like shout out to Tom because that's a cool bill. And I thought there was a really good Tushar tweet, Tushar from Multicoin, um, who pointed something out that I hadn't thought of. And he said, a negative externality of a US CBDC is the total destruction of credit markets. Why would you keep cash at a commercial bank if you could just keep it at the Fed? But the Fed doesn't make commercial loans. So I just thought I hadn't thought about the relationship between a CBDC negatively impacting um, 
uh, mm. credit markets in the US. And yeah, so yeah. Um, the only other thing that I want to point out too, because he just got a lot of attention, was Top Shot. And there was a judge that um, denied Dapper's request to dismiss a suit that allowed them to be investigated or like that certain pieces of top, like top shots were securities. Um, Dapper tried to contest that and tried to dismiss the suit. And, um, you know, quote unquote, this is Dapper's response. Cause a lot of people were saying, Oh, you know, this just basically is saying that NFTs are securities. And like, there are some memes out there that people are saying, Oh, listen, my, you know, here's my baseball card. I'm not going to open it because you know, SEC is going to come knocking on my door. I think that was overblown. So taking a step back, I think yeah. this is Dapper's statement. They said, importantly, today's order only denied the defendant's motion to dismiss, i.e. their motion to dismiss the complaint. It did not conclude that the plaintiffs were right, meaning the top shots are securities, and it is not a final ruling on the merits of the case. So, you know, it's a good yeah. reminder um, that there's a lot of people out there in crypto, that in crypto Twitter, that very quickly engagement farm and make these statements. Um, but it's important to like actually understand that, you know, this is not to say that the court ruled that it was the top shots were securities. It's just that they, well, you know, in this case, this it's funny to see how fast fake news spreads, but do you want to know the original source on this one? Enlighten me. Bloomberg. From Bloomberg. It came from the Bloomberg terminal. So it was, uh, the Bloomberg, Bloomberg had an article, NBA top shot NFTs are securities. Judge says in landmark right. case. So Lovely. start. So it started on the Bloomberg terminal. Then it went to DB uh, tier 10K, if you know that account. Mm -hmm. And then yep. and then it just spread like wildfire. So I think I mean Bloomberg really botched this headline. Um, but these yeah, I mean it's just in for clickbait stuff. Thank you. Uh, yeah, everyone. I mean, I think they just made a mistake. But everyone's freaking out about it being classified as securities, and that's just not what this decision. I know you guys are building like uh, a media company for this reason. Maybe this is why you kind of decided to. But it's actually like really frustrating and disappointing that like if you're a legal reporter and you read through this case why would you write this headline it's not like it's just not factually correct I'm, I'm, am i missing something here like if you were to write this headline for blockworks would you write it like that you couldn't write it like that because it's wrong it's fake news but here's what happened behind the scenes something came out something behind the scenes got filed so like that court case probably filed and bloomberg prides themselves bloomberg because of the terminal business so people think of bloomberg as like this big media business they make 90 percent of the revenue from the terminal business and they pride themselves on being first to the news so like every media company has to decide where they win so like bloomberg wins by being first to the news blockworks does not win we usually are not first to the news, but we have better insights and longer and more insightful takes than anyone in crypto. At least I'm very biased, but that's what, so like you have to decide where you win and that's why Bloomberg. So, but when you are racing to the news, you make mistakes. And so, but yeah, and anyways, TLDR in this case, all that happened was the motion to throw out the case was denied. Um, and I know I've been, I've been, uh, I've been very critical of Top Shot and like think that calling a public blockchain that has KYC is like, like, a, that's just not, shouldn't, a public blockchain shouldn't have any KYC. But anyways, calling them securities is totally ridiculous. Um, it's, uh, it's just, I mean, it's like, you don't call when I buy like my Barry Bonds card on eBay, like, and I think the price is going to go up. Like, that's not, a, that's not a security. Why is the top shot a security? It just, I mean, it makes no sense, but they're not calling it a security. There's the motion uh to throw out the case was denied so yeah interesting case nonetheless you know if and when this actually goes to court and and you know one to follow of course for the nft community um so yeah we'll have to keep tabs on that santi i gotta jump this was great um i great. forgot great to plug permissionless at the beginning so i have to do it now which is this week we just had our biggest ticket sale day since we launched the event um yeah so that was a, it's been a really big week for permissionless ticket sales. Uh, tickets just increased in price again. So they're now like, hold on, let me get these facts right. I think it's like 440 bucks for a permissionless ticket. And we've been chilling them since they were like a hundred bucks. So 
yeah, last week it was 394. Today it's 441. They are going to just continue going up in price. So if you're thinking about going to permissionless, get your ticket. Already did mine. <laughs> did we give you a did we give you a free ticket or do you have to pay? You gotta pay. No, like a, we're not wait no. wait, what? No. Come on. No, I'm yeah. speaking, but I already booked okay. everything else. Like I already you, got, it. you can get a ten percent discount. You can get the Empire discount. See, see folks, how this how how my co host treats me. This is coming <laughs> from a guy that has uh, bowling shoes and a bowling ball. I'm tuning out. This, this has been a great episode. We at learned the end of the a lot about Jason. I hope you guys enjoyed. So. I hope you guys enjoyed. <laughs> we will see you guys next week. We've got a super interesting episode on staking the centralized kind of player with Coinbase versus the decentralized player with Rocket Pool. They compete against each other, but they are both kind of come at the industry from the same view, saying that Lido has too much market share. I think you guys will really enjoy the episode. And um, see you guys Monday, folks. Thank you, folks. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.